This is Hans Reamer, Montgomery County Council Member, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, how's it going? A lot of big news happening this week as we sit here on Thursday, May 20th. Things are seemingly getting back to normal. A lot of more people are getting their vaccinations, so all good news there. How are things in your neck of the woods? Things are okay out here. How about you? Doing well, and I'm very, very happy today. One of my favorite guests, friend of the podcast, we have with us today, Secretary of the Maryland Department of Planning, Robert McCord. And the last time we had him on, Michael, we discussed the enormous effort to ensure that every Marylander was counted in the 2020 census. The count is now complete, and the Census Bureau is processing the data, making sure that everybody is counted once, only once, and in the right place. Secretary McCord, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that, Now, as a reminder to our listeners, and this is something Michael and, of course, Secretary McCord already know, the census is extremely important for county governments. That's what we do on this podcast. The data is used to allocate billions of dollars in federal funding for education, health, transportation, housing, community services, job training, et cetera. And we also know that businesses and industries decide where to locate new facilities and services based on this data. And that creates new jobs and promotes economic growth. We also know that an accurate census count or a lack thereof certainly has a lasting effect on counties, particularly when it comes to the distribution of federal funds. So, Michael, knowing all of that, and now that the count is complete, we have Secretary McCord back on with us today. And I know there's a lot we want to get into. Yeah, definitely. I, I thought one of the things that I remember when the last time we had the secretary on was, Rob, I thought you did a really nice job of talking to our audience about like a layer or two deeper than just this. The feds are going to allocate money. So every person means dollars. And that's that's important and valuable. But I think you also had some useful takeaways about knowing where people are will help decision makers allocate resources most wisely and having good census data is an important tool to that end. So I thought that was a really good takeaway for our audience. Happy to have you back. And what's on your mind? We are in the midst of preparing for the redistricting process. And um, as you know, the COVID problem had pushed the census response out, which in turn pushes the the delivery of numbers for um, redistricting um, out also. So um, we are prepared to deal with that as soon as those numbers come into us. As far as that process goes, it's been a, um, um, you know, we finished ninth in the nation for self-response. So having um, Maryland at ninth in the nation is a, you know, a credit to MACO and all the county partners we had, every complete count committee throughout the entire um, state was on board with shifting to different sorts of outreach to get the job done. So I can't begin any discussion of the census without my deep appreciation for everything that every county complete count committee has done to get the state to where it is today. So I I really must extend my appreciation to the counties for all the help we got. 
it's a great place to start. And um, particularly, I mean, re- re- remind me on this timetable. I'm trying to think back now a year or so. I mean, we were having all these conversations leading up to the census year and everybody's going to get ready and get the gears turning and so forth. But ordinarily, it's it's the spring or so of the census year is when the U.S. Census hires the people to go knock on doors and do a lot of face-to-face the follow-up of what you didn't get with people turning in their materials in advance through the mail, through the internet and whatnot. So that is what we, what ordinarily would have been happening in, in like March in April, May, June, July of 2020. And obviously in the midst of a health crisis, people walking face to face and having that one-to-one interaction became really difficult. So those States like Maryland that had our act together early we're at a relative advantage. So, I mean, we should be extra grateful for the early work that our complete count committees and your department and leaders at every level engaged in here. That, that's, ex- that's actually very important to, to say. The numbers that I'm aware of at this point for the kind of non-response follow-up and interviewing process, back in 2010, that was about 18.1% of what the Census Bureau had to do Compose Maryland's count. And this time around, it was only 10.4%. So despite COVID, they had less non-response follow-up to do in Maryland, which means we responded by self-response and eliminated that as the need to do that. So I'm proud of Maryland for doing that. And that happened all over the state. And that's, again, I think an example of, of your work and then, you know, the counties and the municipalities getting the word out. And, you know, Secretary McCord, something I often think about with COVID and getting out the campaign to, to make sure people know the importance of getting vaccinated, I kept thinking back to the census outreach. And I kept thinking to myself, I hope that they've learned a lot of lessons from the census outreach and how to reach people, because it seems like we're trying to get in touch with all the same people, right? You need to do the census. You also need to get your vaccine. And I wonder if, if there were lessons taken there and if, if th- this effort was, you know, driven by what happened with the census and some, some of the same strategies were used there. Because to me, it's, it's sort of the same effort. I mean, what, what do you think about that? Because I think about it all the time. Really, Kevin, it's, it's, it's quite interesting that you say that because the governor's office from the very beginning of the COVID situation, um, they were saying that we have an example of how to do outreach because we just completed very successfully a census outreach process. We have a network of partners. We have a way to do this. So they did appreciate and incorporate many of the types of outreach processes that we used in the census to continue the effort from the health department's perspective. Um, Actually, there were people from, uh, I would say, uh, at least 12% of one of my sections were detailed to the health department to help in the, in, the, um, in the process of the COVID response. So that is a, a, another example of how state government works together, health department and planning department, to make sure that we can both put our resources together to apply to the, the crisis. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. And then, of course, back to, I think, what Michael added on earlier, it's so important, this data is so important to, to know where people are, to know how to get to them, not only with 
COVID with a public health crisis, but also for stuff like hurricanes, natural disasters, to know where to send that aid. This data is crucial for that as well. And I think that sort of goes full circle as to why now that we're experiencing this pandemic and we want to make sure that we reach people and explain to them the importance of getting vaccinated so we can all move forward. This data is crucial for doing that. So God forbid we have another global pandemic like this one. But in the event we did, this will be updated data that the state can then use to directly get in touch with these folks, right? That's correct. That's correct. And and it seems like the conduits for reaching people effectively, I mean, I hear much of the same language that we heard front and center in the census effort, like trusted community leaders was a phrase that I'm sure you probably got sick of saying to so many different audiences that you were speaking to county by county and town by town and whatnot. But we're hearing the same thing now that if we feel we have pockets of, of, of people who haven't yet made the trek to a mass vaccination site or they've got questions or concerns or they've read this thing or they've heard that thing, that among the most effective ways to reach those people about vaccines and the path forward for them and their families and for safety has been through the same kind of conduits that a trusted community leader, maybe it's your doctor, maybe it's a faith leader, but, but it's the same kind of method. Someone you have a relationship with spreading the word may be the most effective way to bridge that gap. And it just, it just seems to me like it's an obvious lesson learned opportunity. And I hope we're doing it well there. We are trying to do it well, Michael. Um, The trusted voices was a, a cornerstone of what we were doing um, in the census effort. And it is a cornerstone of what's happening at the health uh, department also, because those trusted voices, just like you said, are doctors and they're faith leaders and they're other community leaders overcoming vaccine hesitancy by listening to people that you trust is one of the most important things we can do. So that's a census carryover effect. And to Kevin's point about how this information is used, all this information Um, The census has a very important uh, application on their site. It's called census on the map for emergency management. So when that hurricane is headed our way, we will be able to detail by census track the the number of elderly people living there, the number of young people living there, the kinds of people that might need additional assistance, all those kinds of things. When you know good information about your community, that's how we can respond effectively to the potential for disasters. And then when something happens, we also can use all of this information. I don't need to know a person's name. I just need to know how many of a particular kind of need might exist in an area to be able to be helpful to the um, Maryland Emergency Management um, right. people. So that's, that's what I'm, you know, that's what I've stressed to the emergency management managers. It was several years ago I presented um, to the emergency managers, how much of the census data is available for emergency management purposes. And uh, they're on board with it right now also, waiting to get the latest data. It's, it's almost, it's, it's like a, a high-tech parallel of something that I remember from my childhood, and, and you might as well, that I remember we had a sticker on the front of my home that was intended to have a little bit of coded information for the fire department in the event that they needed to come in, it had a a couple of numbers and places on the sticker that was somewhere near your front door in the town I grew up. And the sticker told the fire department, where are the kids? 
like, you know, at what point do you stop looking for people in this house? And, you know, at ours, like, oh, you've got three people in this house. That's the, that's the in- indoor number. And that's a, you know, 49 cent sticker put somewhere on the outside of your house and they know where to look, and you know where to put it. But the idea of having this in a database that can be pulled down block by block or town by town or, you know, in a larger scale circumstance, it's an extension of the same logical idea. Better information is going to let them do their jobs more effectively. So uh, forgive me for the uh, walk down memory lane. <laughs> that, that, that's quite all right, Michael. I, I, I have also probably slightly older memories than you that are actually only seen in pictures in black and white. And they, they include those little triangles, uh, civil defense signs. And, um, right, right. and I remember going into those, uh, doorways underneath the stairwell at my school growing up and finding all these canisters of meals ready to eat and didn't understand what that meant, except when we then watched the film about how we should duck and cover under our desk. So, under um, the desk. I, You'll be safe under the desk from the nuclear fallout. Yes. Apparently, they had some radioactive preventive stuff in the desktops. I didn't know that at the time. So, yes. Michael mentioned earlier, you know, the timeline here is important. We know the census, of course, overshadowed by the pandemic, just like everything else. The count ended early back in the fall. You said Maryland did well in terms of our, our self-reporting rate. Where are we in terms of data? I mean, do we know anything else in terms of how Maryland did compared to other states? I know that counts in Florida, Texas, Arizona, states like that, they came in lower than expected. Any big surprises here in Maryland, at least with the preliminary data that you're seeing? No, I, I can't tell you that there's a big surprise with the Maryland data. The, the data that we had projected that the state data center for the population of Maryland is 6 million and some small change. And the, the number that uh, is our apportionment number is 6,185,278. So it's a very close number. An apportionment number always includes people in the military service and federal contractors abroad. So mm-hmm. it's it's a slightly higher number than the people living here at the moment for the kind of April 1st living here. It also includes military and the federal contractors. So that number is really pretty close. I mean, we already know, I guess it was just a few weeks ago, we saw the announcements of states that are gaining and losing congressional seats. And that's one of the big top line exciting topics. We're not in that mix. We, we, I don't think anyone ever expected Maryland to, to, to be that big of a relative mover. Uh, but within the state, um, I mean, those are the kind of things I think we may have some interest in once all the details get released within the state. Are there, are there trends and patterns to see? Um, we don't have any, any data, fresh data on the counts within the counties. Mm-hmm. So, and, and unfortunately, the, the projections that the state data center uh, does are all just county by county. There's no sub-county data involved. But but if you just took that number I gave you for the 6.1 million uh, people for apportionment purposes and divided by the eight seats that we have, that's 773,160 people for, di- for per district. And congressional districts by law are, are to be within like a person or two, the same number in all eight of those districts. The interesting thing there, and somebody asked me the other day, was are there any counties that have populations that are larger than the 773 number, mm-hmm. 773,000? And there are at least three. There's the Baltimore right. County and Montgomery County, Prince George's County. So they, they cannot all fit in one congressional district. 
Mm -hmm. And so there will be pieces in some other district. That's the only thing we know for sure coming out of this process of the apportionment numbers. And now today I learned that um, the Census Bureau finally put on their website that they expect to be distributing redistricting data by August 16th. They had mm -hmm. always said mid to late August, but just today I have people looking at the website all the time of the U.S. Census Bureau to see if any numbers actually show up. So August 16th had showed up. Um, today, and it may have only been there uh, a day. Um, in part, it appears it may be a result of the suit that was going on in Ohio. We've been keeping tabs on the Ohio federal litigation against the Census Bureau because they have um, deadlines to meet that are different than Maryland's deadlines as far as redistricting are concerned. And they're trying to, um, trying to, uh, they were suing the Census Bureau to get the data sooner. And um, so the Census Bureau had always said mid to late August, and this is an important part also. It's not just for um, not just for data geeks, but they will release the data in what they call legacy format data, which is actually the same data that most of the states are used to getting. It's the same data they always did before. And um, so then by the end of September, they will have data available um, that is kind of the new version of the data, a new format for the data. Mm -hmm. At the, at the Maryland Department of Planning, we intend to use the first release of data, which we're used to getting, and using that as a basis for the data for, for our state. And we will process that data in accordance with Maryland law. Maryland is one of nine states that must reallocate incarcerated people back to the last known address prior to incarceration. So the reallocation process will take us approximately four weeks or so. To get everyone re reallocated. So if we get everything August 16th, it's still going to take a number of weeks to get everyone reallocated back to their address prior to incarceration. That means there'll be a bit of a delay in Maryland in order to comply with Maryland law. And so everything that can be done to prepare for that process has already been put in place. All of the steps that can be done at the local level here in Maryland are, are finished. We're ready to kind of drop the data in and then proof that data and make sure it's all correct so that everybody uses adjusted data in Maryland. Maryland is a state that must use adjusted data in order to draw districts. So, okay. So, so a, a few extra mechanics because of Maryland's state law on how, how we need to adjust those populations. We know that the 2020 cycle is on a different timeline a bit because of the gathering and processing got thrown a little off kilter. I, I want to pause for a second because I think all three of us have probably dropped the word redistricting, but I want to want to sort of expand on that for a moment for listeners who, who may not be familiar with this process. This is kind of a once, it's a little bit like a cicada thing, instead of once every 17 years, it's once every 10 years, but political jurisdictions are obligated to update the way you draw districts for political representation to match the most available data through the census for where people actually live, reside, and vote. So ultimately, that's the process we're all going through in the wake of the decennial census, and you want to have this job done by the election that happens after the census, 
which for county purposes and for Maryland state offices is the fall of 22. And that feels like it's a long time away, but the reason we're feeling some degree of crunch is you want to go through a process to fairly draw all those districts and then let everybody know who might be contemplating uh, seeking election. They want to know where the district is drawn and who who the the, the um, represent who they'd be representing uh, through their district. So this is a matter for state congressional offices, the entire state legislature, and then for our members at the county level, counties go through district drawing as well. Most of our jurisdictions elect their members in whole or in part by districts. So that's a once every 10 year process. That's why we've sort of made made reference to the redistricting process is one of the things on hold until we see this data. It's going to be an exciting week during the MAKO conference in the middle of August if everybody gets first draft census data literally as they're driving down to the Tech Expo at the MAKO conference. Please pull off of Route 50 to look at the data <laughs> and don't try to drive doing that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I know you, you've been talking with counties. I know you said you were recently in Hartford County and, and talking about this issue. And because of the delay, that, that is going to conflict with normal, quote unquote, procedures in terms of how counties draw districts. And, and the state, of course, needs to make sure, like Michael said, it's done as well. So, I mean, what do you what do you have to say for counties now? What should they be doing to sort of prepare for that delay and, and to make sure that it, we don't cause any problems down the line? I mean, what can they do now to, to sort of prepare? Well, one of the things I'll just begin with what I ended with um, last night at, in Harford County's meeting, I reminded them to confer with their other county colleagues to see what they are doing. Um, we are all working with um, the, the data not available yet, but some of them may be working on like um, kind of listening sessions to see what people think of the existing districts and how they might be um, expanded or contracted. Um, some of them are looking for uh, other proxy data to use, which I, I can't necessarily recommend any particular proxy data to use at this point. However, some planning and zoning offices at the local level may have um, an idea based on building permit activity where some districts may have expanded or where some have stayed the same. The concept of trying to keep relatively the same number of people in each district is a concept that tries to make sure that the, the vote of each person carries approximately the same weight. So the, the simple example, if there's 10 people in the, in the district, then each person has kind of a 10% influence on that election. If there's 100 people, then that's only kind of that 1% influence. And so that's just this very simple idea. But if you have districts of 40,000 people, for instance, you can still have it lopsided if there's a 40,000 person district and a 20,000 person district. The 40,000 person person in the 40,000 person districts vote has like half as much effect as the person in the 20,000 person district. So, so that's why the the law on redistricting tries to balance um, and tries to look for within a relative range um, equal numbers of people in a district so that everybody's vote has generally the same weight in, in the election process. So um, that is something that um, I was reminding the commissions about, that as soon as the data is available to the state, we will do the adjustment process as quickly as possible and get it back out to the commissions that are um, looking for that data. So uh, I, you know, I, I don't know if there are better numbers 
available to any particular county, but um, I can't make a recommendation about numbers that that did not come from right. the census. So I, I, I hesitate to do that and I hesitate to endorse it. But um, there, if, if people understand that they've had a lot of activity in some parts of their county, um, they might want to consider that district now has more people in it. So it may need to be, um, you know, smaller than it was before, which means the adjoining district may need to be bigger and there may be a cascading effect. But also commissions need to think about if citizens are not, if citizens are not, cons um, are concerned about a district because of its current situation for the past 10 years. And the other thing that's extremely important is to make sure that people understand redistricting for the purposes of the elections is not the same as redistricting for the purposes of school attendance mm -hmm. areas. And unfortunately, they get conflated all the time. And um, mm. I, I have nothing to do with that at the state level. That's a county <laughs> decision and a county board of education decision beyond that. So, so um, uh, there are people that will have availed themselves of the ability to come in front of their county councils to complain about school redistricting. And uh, all of a sudden, I've had people at the grocery store asking me about what their school uh, is going to look like because they, they know I have something to do with redistricting at the state level. And that's not <laughs> my job. So. Both of them important. School, school district drawing is important. It's trying to reflect appropriate demographics and changes and capacities and so forth. So not, not to trivialize that, it's just a process on a separate track. This is exactly. political representation and keeping it in touch with the census that's telling us where the people actually live. Yes, and, and, there, and people need to, people understand, I think, that there are, there are in a sense, dual um, there's a dual track going on at the state level also, because um, the governor appointed the Maryland Citizen Redistricting Commission, and there are three independents, three Democrats, and three Republicans. And the Department of Planning is a is a um, is a staffing agency to that commission. That process by which the executive order set that commission up prohibits that commission from accounting for um, the way people are registered to vote how people voted in the past and the political party. So the political data is not part of what is being considered by the, the Maryland Citizen Redistricting Commission. And okay. furthermore, yeah, furthermore, that the, the domicile and residence of individual incumbent office holders or candidates are that's the other category of data that's off the table for this commission. So that's one process that's going on and see that and you'll hear about that process as that commission starts having their listening sessions um, throughout the state. The big show is in August. That's when you're going to have that data. You're going to take some time to, to go through it. And then you said about a month until counties and, and the state have that data. And also, I assume, you know, you mentioned sort of that legacy data, but, but I imagine what you mean by that is the Census Bureau wants to have all these snazzy graphics and they want it to be user friendly. That is that sort of the, the data that they're going to, to release later on. They're going to take the time to sort of reformat everything and make it accessible to, to the average resident. Well, let me just clarify that that it is uh, nobody has seen the format for the, the new the new format for the data. So when I say uh, I said legacy uh, legacy data format, the legacy formatted data is the same way they've always produced it which um, if they were, if you were to hit the print button at the Census Bureau, it would come out in telephone book kind of format of just columns and columns of data. And computer systems are used to work, working with that, but um, 
normal people would have to go through pages and pages to find a piece of information that they needed. But computer programs can do that. Most of the mapping programs that are out there can process the data because that's the way they've always done it. Um, there should be, and we expect there to be, the new format for the data, which may be easier to use and easier to, to deal with, coming out later from the Census Bureau. Again, my caution is always that the data that the Census Bureau puts out um, has to be adjusted if it's going to be used by Maryland law for redistricting. Okay, so so multiple steps ahead here. Um, if you're if you're listening to this conversation and you're pacing the floor a little bit because you've been named the chair of the you know district drawing commission for your jurisdiction and you're thinking, well, I still don't quite know how this is going to all come together. It, it sounds as though like the, the, I mean the the pieces will fall into place. And it's going to happen on this year's calendar. And by the time the weather gets cool, you should be in the middle of your redistricting meetings and you should probably have adequate data to work with and start running your models and be able to do your job. Um, there, there's nothing pointing toward this is going to stretch on and on and on and be a problem when there's actually snow falling and, and uh, you know, you're getting tons and tons of local pressure saying, I, I want to run for county council, but I don't know where where I live. <laughs> yes, I would, I would say that the, the news that the data will be available in the middle of August is good news for everybody. Um, and we all have to understand that the Census Bureau is doing the best it can. It has a responsibility to all 50 states and it must run the data and its data quality checks through that entire process. Um, whatever arguments happen should happen on policy um, and philosophy discussions instead of um, arguments over data. The data itself we should be able to agree upon is good. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm hoping that we'll be able to do, that we'll be able to, to have different discussions based on where people think lines should or shouldn't go, not based on what the data actually shows. The data should be the data that has been adjusted. And we will come into situations where people will not use adjusted data. And we will, we will try to point that out that the adjusted data is what has to happen in Maryland. But uh, I think all the redistricting commissions throughout the counties are aware of that. And they're aware that we are trying to do that as quickly as possible and have done every pre-step that we can do to make sure that, that that process happens quickly for them. That's always good to know. And of course, we can we can say that counties can reach out to, to Secretary McCord, to the Department of Planning for any of this information. And I, I agree. I mean, the Census Bureau, this is a massive undertaking in the middle of a pandemic. And I think we need to cut them a little bit of slack, but understandably, people are concerned. We have deadlines. The bottom line here is they're doing the best they can. We're going to get that data turned around as quickly as possible. And the hope is that we're going to have everything in time for when we need it, right? We're going to have everything in time to make sure that the counties and the state can, can conduct redistricting, do it correctly, and make sure it's fair. Is there anything else that has to happen now behind the scenes in terms of, you know, looking at all this data and sort of figuring out uh, specific metrics? Is there anything you're looking specifically for once you get that legacy data? Again, like you're used to getting, is there anything specific that's going to jump out for you that's the first thing you're going to look at? Um, no, I really, I, I'm so excited about just getting the data um, to begin with that um, we will, of course, compare it to our projections. One of the first things that we will do is compare it to our projections. 
And then we will start to drill down and to see which areas have had the increases and which areas have had the decreases and um, where those shifts have happened. And that's probably what everyone's going to be doing also. Census tracts that have um, more than was expected and census tracts that have less than expected. And I don't even want to say simply expected, but but did they grow? Um, how What is their growth compared to the 2010 census? So I'm sure that'll be something that everyone's going to take a look at. And um, if your geography is the entire county, you'll be taking a look at that also. And, and most jurisdictions, I, I mean, I think what, what you were trying to say is there are some informal indicators that probably should have the smart people on the ground already sort of pointing their nose in the right direction. You know what your school population changes have been year to year over the last six, eight, 10 years. And you know what parts of any given county seem to be experiencing more growth or more housing expansion. Like all those things are, they're not the end, the end indicators that you use for district drawing, but most jurisdictions kind of understand it's the west part of the county where we've seen most of the growth. So you probably expect that district to get a little geographically smaller because there's more people that way. And that means we'll stretch this or that. I mean, if you're not thinking at those basic terms, then you probably just haven't been looking at the indicators around you that are, as you said, informal and preliminary. But that, that's th those things should be pointing you in generally the right direction, we think. Yes. And when that's incongruent from that, Michael, then you want to drill down and look at it a little bit closer. Mm -hmm. But but everybody would seem on the local level to have a kind of a natural in, inclination to think that this area doesn't look the same that it, as it did ten years mm -hmm. ago. So we need to we need to take a look at it. So um, I'm thinking that most of the people on registering commissions across the state, serving at the county level, have some idea of what has changed in the past ten years. And um, you know that's why. I said if they wanted to involve engage in any kind of listening process early on, and then a process when when preliminary maps are proposed, um, that it having a two stage process might not be the worst thing, and let people have a say in what they think is um, working well for them or what they think will not work well for them. Um, somewhere in that process, you want to hear from the public, and um, it might not be after the final map is drawn. And it could be as early as getting information from the public early, and then a second round when some proposed maps are 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 prepared. So, um, you know, I, I I don't know how the best way to do that is in Western Maryland and Southern Maryland and the Eastern Shore, not even in my own county. So I I, I leave that to the people that are doing the redistricting process and offer the help of the state data center and our people at the Department of Planning. Um, and I you know remind people that there's a an independent commission that we're supporting, but um, you know it, it's a it's a process that's going also at the state level. And there, anyone that's able to dial into that process, check in on that process um, at the website that that commission is redistricting.maryland.gov. Um, that's where the independent commission is. The Maryland Citizens Redistricting Commission um, um, data will be located. It is a, a process that is starting later than it normally starts, but if we all go about it with the right frame of mind that we all, no one has an advantage. Everyone has exactly the same situation right now. So um, we all have the, the duty to make districts look like um, they represent the people that they're 
supposed to be representing as far as numerically. And that, you know, all, all the all the good all the good stuff for drawing good districts is is something that we could spend a lot more time on. But the, the concept is it begins with data and that data will not be available to us until the 16th. And we urge you for a little bit more patience to make sure that we get the data adjusted according to Maryland law so that you're using the right data to make your districts. Secretary McCord, maybe the next round uh, census in 10 years when you're running the U.S. Census or you're, you know, relaxing on a beach somewhere, I think it would be advantageous as somebody who cares about this data, maybe to have a census lottery. And Michael, we talked last week about (laughs) incentives for vaccination. We had a big announcement today. Michael, I know you're very excited. As an Ohioan, Ohio was sort of, I think, the first state to offer this sort of this sort of incentive, a lottery for vaccines. Uh, Michael, what are you, what are your thoughts here? I mean, this literally just broke a little while ago, but this this connects right back to what we were talking about last week. And so, Michael, <laughs> what, what's your hot take here? I, I'm not sure it's a super hot take. I'm um, I, I would think that the thing that mo- that interests me the most is that Maryland has said any any Marylander who got a shot in Maryland is going to be eligible, not just people who waited until now. So to the extent that there's some sort of like moral hazard argument or, uh, you know, sense of unfairness, well, I, I was one of the first people in line. How come I don't get a ticket to this fantastic lottery? You do. In Maryland, everybody's on board. And if you feel like you missed your opportunity, you haven't because go get your shot and you'll be entered as along with everybody else. I, I like that frame of mind, which I think is a little different from what the Buckeye State has engaged in. And, you know, once again, Maryland you know, proves that we've got this figured out a little better than Ohio. OK, I'm done with that. Money talks and whatever we need to do to get as many people vaccinated, that's what we need to do. But I would argue it's the same thing with the census. And I think, you know, that's a, it's a good way to close it out. It, it, census data drives this response effort, right? We need the data to make sure. So it all comes full circle. It's exciting, right? And, and I think as somebody who's been trying to reach people, this has to be sort of an exciting moment for you too, to, to kind of see an incentive being offered to get people to do what you're asking them to do, which is so, so important. Well, I, I really do appreciate that the, uh, um, every, every possible way to involve people in the vaccination process is happening. And um, it's very important. It's very important to understand that, that everyone's hesitancy may come from a different place and overcoming the hesitancy um, is a knowledge-based thing and a and there's a communal aspect to it also and um, we all help each other when we become vaccinated and that's a very very important message that it's it's for all of us and it is um, I got the vaccine back in January and um, I you know I'm, I'm happy that I did and um, my family's vaccinated and my uh, my my neighbors are vaccinated. Everyone is vaccinated that I'm interfacing with at this point. And I think that uh, um, whatever we can do at the county level to remind people that of the importance of that and you know, those trusted voices like we use in the census are being deployed to do the same thing. I appreciate that effort. Well, we appreciate you joining us once again, Secretary McCord. Um, I always appreciate your thoughts. Uh, We try and cover a lot of ground. Some of our policy is technology and some is on education. Some of it is just the gears of government. And part of the duty of running government properly is making sure that you have the structure set up appropriately. So 
you know, a little bit of this is in the weeds about adjusting the data and what do you use as the basis for redrawing of districts that you have to do because of these laws and so forth. And what gets lost there is we do this so that our residents and our citizens are represented appropriately in the decision-making process that affects their lives. And that's the goal that we all want for that to be fair and, and to represent them well. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing to get the right information in everybody's hands. And we'll all look forward to this moving forward and this year being the year that we start fine tuning that lovely process. Always a pleasure to talk to Mako. Thank you very much, Tim. Yes, thank you, Secretary McCord. And we'll leave it there for today. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. We'll make sure we link all of the relevant links to Department of Planning, U.S. Census Bureau, the Redistricting Commission, et cetera, on the blog and in the show notes. You can also follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and then, of course, the Conduit Street blog. But until next week, this is Kevin signing off for Secretary Robert McCord and Michael Sanderson, and we will talk to you soon.